All right. A special welcome to all the people visiting us for the first time, both online and in person. And now Tori is going to offer our talk, so we're going to switch over our mics. Okay. So it's good to see everybody. It's very nice. I love it. Cannot wait till we get into our own space. It's just going to be fantastic. Long time coming. So every year, Tim and I get together and we, um, I like that we do these, uh, holy days together. I, I love it, actually. It's more than just like, I love it. And so, um, we just take turns, um, and this year I'm going to start us out with the refuges and talk a little bit about the refuges. Um, the refuges, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, we kind of take refuge. If you ever go on a retreat, every single starting of the retreat, many people take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Uh, as they start their day, people take refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha before some event that they're going to do. This taking of refuge in these three, what are called the triple jewels, is a way to kind of align your practice with where your heart's intention is. And so... I want to talk a little bit about what this means uh, when we're practitioners, this taking refuge and um, what's really possible with it. So refuge itself, this word, is taking protection. It's like a shelter. Uh, taking shelter protects. Uh, the Buddha one time said that... Um, um, that uh, mindfulness is protection for the mind and that the mind finds refuge in mindfulness. There's a time when um, Ajahn Chah or Ajahn Man, I'm sorry, he was a famous um, um, a Thai monk, one of the first monks to go out in the forest uh, he was Ajahn Chah's monk, and he was a teacher, and he was Samedo, and all the way down the line, all the way to Timonai, uh, this unbroken line from Ajahn Man all the way up to us, Rodney, Philip, all the way through. But anyway, Ajahn Man one time said to never let the mind wander away from the body. We just keep the mind and body together. So in a way, you can say that the mind finds refuge both in the body and uh, in mindfulness. So what is this idea, this protection, this refuge? What could just saying a chant or saying words, how can that actually be a refuge, create a refuge? I think it all has to do with what you think the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha represent. That's what you're really taking refuge in. 
Some people take refuge in the Buddha as a historical person. I do. I mean, I just think <clears throat> having sat uh, many hours of meditation, I think it is remarkable that any person would persevere at the level that the Buddha did. And so there's this capacity for uh, this mind to awaken. And I think the Buddha's determination and his capacity to stay and persevere all the way through to awakening is one phenomenal. But then to do that against the backdrop of not really knowing what he's doing, that makes it even all the better. He was just kind of like investigating uh, peace. And in his investigation of peace, he stayed with it all the way to enlightenment. So some people take a refuge in Buddha, the historical person. And one thing about taking refuge in Buddha as a historical person is that you actually have to believe that a regular person, just like you, just like me, can awaken. You actually have to believe that because it wouldn't be a refuge if you think Buddha can awaken, but I can't. So there has to be this, this kind of connection that your refuge in the Buddha as a teacher of a path that will lead to your uh, awakening. That, that's not always where people line up, though, with the Buddha. And um, Ajahn Sumedho came here last year, and he said something I have never forgotten. He said that you could look at the Buddha as mindfulness. What you're taking refuge in is this willingness to be with the present moment this willingness to turn our attention towards what is arising now. I don't know how, um, I don't know how I'm going to get through whatever's up, but there's this willingness to be mindful and present in this present moment. That's this taking refuge in the Buddha. That's this aligning and and recognizing that there is a safety in being in the present moment. And that safety isn't necessarily that the present moment won't be unpleasant. The safety is that the I can deal with this present moment and I won't just continue uh, a line of suffering. So this taking refuge in the Buddha as the historical person for awakening, or as uh, as Ajahn Sumedho would say, as mindfulness, or this willingness to stay with the present moment, whatever's arriving, whatever's arising. And in that taking refuge in the present moment, you are willing to be with whatever's happening. There is something about learning how to be with whatever's happening. So then it goes a little bit further. We take refuge in the Dhamma. The Dhamma, sometimes referred to as truth, it's the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, what it's the 
the teachings of the path he took. I, I, um, it's not like the Buddha was the only Buddha. Not like he was the only person who ever awakened. Many people awakened, especially at his time when spiritual um, practice and, you know, um, seeking awaken, uh, 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 enlightenment was a very, very common thing. And people would lead their lives and just take up the homely, homeless life. And they would just walk around in a homeless state until they found it. So there is this, um, this was this normal practice. But what makes Siddhartha, what made uh, Gotama, as he became known, special is his ability to track what he saw, what he did, and then to articulate that to someone else. So you and I don't have to kind of make it up as to how to get enlightened if you happen to want to. I remember uh, I was just joining the military and I was scared on this flight going to um, uh, Houston, Texas. It was the first time I'd ever been on an airplane. I was scared to death. I thought for sure it was going to crash. And it just so happened that this person sitting next to me, I was 18, person sitting next to me had this book called the Handbook to Higher Consciousness. It was like a transcendental meditation. And so he and I sat there and talked. And he took away whatever fear I had, just listening to our talking about uh, the possibility of the mind being sort of outside the matrix. I had never in my life told anyone about this, never. And growing up in the family I grew up in, yeah, this would not be something you would be sharing with people, talking about subtle energies and subtle spaces. My mother would have clearly thought I was worshiping the devil and I would have had to have hands on something. So instead, I'm sitting next to this guy and he's telling me about this book and my whole mind is opening up because my heart was going to resonate with it anyway. And here I was on this airplane going away into the military, basic training, and all that fear went away. Just talking, just the idea of talking to someone about the possibility of the mind being free and this knowing it's stuck in something, but I don't know what it's stuck in. This knowing that there's something other than the ordinariness of my life, but I didn't know what it was or I didn't have a clue how to catch it, how to even what to do. And this is sort of what the Dhamma is. The Buddha put all of this together and we then take refuge in the practice itself. Not so much that um, we take refuge in getting it right all the time, because we already know that doesn't happen. But we take refuge in the willingness to practice, the willingness to give it a try. So here we are in the present moment. I just 
had some terrible thing happen, something somebody said, I'm like full on about to panic. And there's this willingness to come into the present moment. And there's this willingness to practice with it, to find some uh, tenet of the Dhamma that could apply in this moment and see for myself whether or not there's a possibility that I could free the mind. So this, um, what uh, Ajahn Sumedho equated the Dhamma to was practice. He said you could take refuge in practice if you didn't necessarily was like, well, I think the Dhamma is a whole bunch of, sounds a little Buddhist-y and I'm not really Buddhist and so I'm not really going to do all that. Then pay less attention to the words and more attention to can you practice with, be with, uh, return to and stay with the present moment, whatever it's liking is, and be willing to practice with it. And then the last one is this taking refuge in the Sangha. Um, I don't, I just don't think I would be the type of practitioner I am today if it hadn't been for Sims. You know, um, I kind of feel for people that are new into the practice during a pandemic when we were all online, but I went through years of anxiety and difficulty and a lot of my ability to stay in the practice was because of Sims every week. It didn't really matter. I mean, I tried to practice at home and I never could do it. I was always too scared. I could start, but then I'd have some panic attack two, you know, three seconds in and I'd be done. That's it. But for some reason, if I came to Sims, no one else is getting up. And so I wouldn't either. I did a lot of squirming, true enough. And I'm sure the people sitting next to me was like, can you please stop moving? But I, 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 I felt protected because everybody else was in there with me. There was a sense of I'm not alone in this. I don't know what to do, but I'm not alone in this in whatever I'm doing. And that sense of Sangha really kept me through some really, really, really difficult times. And every week, it didn't matter what was happening. I was going to show up um, at Sims and practice and sit there. It was my time to be together. It didn't matter. I mean, I'm pretty much late for everything. And I would not be late for Sims because if you were late, you'd end up on the stairs somewhere. So it would just get too crowded. And so I would be like there early just to make sure I could get in the room. But what, um, what, uh, Semedo, I think if I remember correctly, the way Semedo pointed to this is that we take refuge in the, uh, the, the continuity of the practice. This, uh, the, the idea that you can begin again and begin again and begin again and begin again. You can practice being still 
over and over and over and you're still not still. And I've been practicing being still for 10 years and I'm still not still. But every single moment is a new practicing being still. Every single moment, there's this idea of beginning again and beginning again and beginning again. And the momentum of that is almost like a sangha. It's almost like this idea that you're constant returning to the practice and beginning again and trying it again and trying it again is what um, is what the sangha is to us. And that's what the sangha was for me. I just kept coming over and over and over, over and over and over for, you know, I've been, Tim and I have been coming for over 20 years, you know, week after week after week. Look back on my life and it's ebbs and flows. Sometimes my practice was great. And sometimes it wasn't, but this constant coming back became the protection and the refuge of being able to stick with it. So I'm going to stop here um, so I can actually leave Tim some time <laughs> to do his part. I always like him going first because he's much easier on the time than I am. But I, I think this um over the course of the year we're going to work with the the we're going to talk about the teaching uh schedule for next year or for this year but what you're looking for is where you find protection in this practice where you find the stability and the capacity to continue with the practice and what it's going to look like for you as an individual is very different because when you're going to need that refuge is not sitting here right now. It's when you're in your ordinary life and you'll need to have something that you can anchor onto in this moment to keep you steady on the path, to keep you here and uh, engaged over and over and over for as long as it takes um, for the mind to get released from its suffering. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your kind attention. All right, so still can hear me online? So you did our navigation of the changing of the mics. <laughs> so as I was listening to Chwari's you know, inspirational talk and how the refuges have this quality of inspiring us, of really bringing us forward. Actually, before I go too long, just to let you know, in about 15 minutes, we'll take a break because uh, sometimes it's hard to be inspired when you have to go to the bathroom. 15, 20 minutes. Yes, the, the refuges bring this quality of inspiration to our practice. They, they bring us forward that, that potential and however it engages in our, in our lives. You know, the, the nitty gritty of our sometimes coming to the practice through suffering, sometimes through inspiration. And these three refuges of the, the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha bring shape to inspiration. And I'm going to talk about the precepts. So the precepts are almost like the foundation, the scaffolding that we build our practice upon. Without that foundation, our practice 
can't really deepen, can't thrive in the way that it has its potential. And so having that, that sense of the precepts of this ethical training is so essential for our practice to deepen and to mature. Often on retreats, when we do the precepts as a group, just energetically, it feels like there's this kind of container that's forming as each, each precept is read, each person takes that precept, you can feel this kind of shoring up of the container of, of the retreat. And so in the same way, we like to do this ceremony at the beginning of the year to help shore up our practice, to help bring this container throughout the whole, whole year. So the five precepts, just in case you're not familiar with them, these are the eth- common ethical trainings of, of Buddhist practitioners, of Dharma practitioners. They're refraining from killing and harming, refraining from stealing, refraining from lying, refraining from sexual misconduct, and refraining from intoxication that leads to heedlessness. It leads to heedlessness. Now, these precepts really are a reflection of this simple fact that our actions do matter. How we act in the world does have its effects. It has effects outward to the people we interact with. It has the effects back toward us. The word kama or karma means action. It's a simple way of translating it. And anytime we have this intentional action, it sets up this momentum for the future, this potential for the future to show up in a certain way. So if I spend my time in an unethical way, that sets up a, contain, or a potential for difficulty coming for me in the future. First, vice versa, if I act in an ethical way, that sets up a different container, a different quality of, of the potential of the future. Think of it as seeds that we plant. You don't know how they will grow, how they will manifest. And so that's why it's so helpful to attend to this moment and how I'm acting. This is something we all know. If I steal, if I lie, people don't trust me. They're, they're cautious around me. If I'm causing harm, if I'm causing, you know, more harm like that, people are afraid of me. There's this, this echoing of that. And those, and this, you know, I'm sure all of us have encountered people who also are not so ethical, who steal, who harm us, who lie to us, and how we feel that guardedness, that sense of distrust. And of course, the opposite, when we actually are speaking the truth, how people start to trust us. They have a sense of seeing you as a person of integrity. You start to be trustworthy. If you honor people's possessions, if you live a life based on non-harm, people start to relax around you. They start to open ways they, they wouldn't normally. And these precepts, of course, have a tremendous external effect. That's why we take them as a group. That's why we hold them as a group. And also they have a tremendous internal effect. Because when we're, we're breaking the precepts, we're pushing against them, we're causing harm, we're lying and stealing, misusing our sexual energy. We really churn up internally. There's a lot more noise going on. This is one of the... Um, the three pillars of the Dharma that we'll get to at the end of the year uh, of sila, of ethics, of generosity, and of, of wisdom. And those three come together in our practice in a beautiful way to support it. Because if we're always causing harm, we're always um, doing things which are unethical, internally, we're going to be very noisy. 
There's going to be a lot of internal dialogue and justification and trying to see if someone's catching us. And there's this tremendous amount of unease that comes from that. And yet when we start to find our, our lives being more and more ethical, there's an internal quiet that comes with that. There's a way that we don't have to look over our shoulders. We don't have to feel ashamed of ourselves. So tonight we'll take the precepts formally. We'll chant them together. We'll have some protection cords to help bring us a reminder. But I want to spend a little time just talking about how to integrate these precepts into our life. Because taking them, having the intention behind them is very important. But then how do they show up? in our daily lives? How do we actually integrate them? How do we practice with them? And the bottom line is you practice in order to see both the benefit of following the precept and also the harm, the limitation, the suffering, the pain that comes from not following those precepts, to actually see those very directly and very immediately. And the very laboratory of your own mind and body and, and heart in your sensitivity with other people, listening to how your your actions affect people for good or for not so good. You know, meditation, mindfulness, it's not about becoming really good at just sensing the breath and being steady on the breath. It's designed to clean up the very way that we perceive, the very way that we receive the world. Because usually we see the world through so much distortion, so much elaboration through our reactivity and learning to simply meet our the breath just how it is or this body sensation that allows us to clean up our attention so it can be steady it can be connected and then we look at those precepts we look at the effects of them and that way we can start to see things without distortion without convolution and that clear seeing has an effect of, of transforming us. You know, next time you find yourself kind of pushing against one of these precepts, you say, okay, I'm, I want to tell this lie. I want to take something which is not freely given. I want to do maybe lean into intoxication. What are the precepts that I feel I'm pushing against? Just pause and notice what that experience is like. What does it actually feel like in the body in that moment? Real time. What does it feel like in the emotions? What does it feel like in the mental expression? What's going on in that whole picture? And by doing so, you start to connect these two things, that our actions and the effects of those actions. You feel the very immediate effects in your body. You know, listening, some of the, the patterns of the habits of mind that I find the hardest to, to, to break or to understand become much easier when I ask those who love me how my, my actions impact them. I've done this a number of times with my, my wife and my daughter asking them, okay, that pattern I go into, what's that like for you? Tell me what that's, what that's like, what your experience is. And of course, it's, it's hard to hear that, but it brings a level of energy and, and commitment to not do that anymore. That's what I mean by connecting the dots really seeing what it's like to push against these precepts, not in an abstract way, but in the the things that come up day in and day out. Those simple little ways that taking that, that pin when it's, that's not freely offered 
taking someone else's food, taking someone else's time, a sense of kindness, you know, maybe traveling, traffic, letting someone in or not letting someone in. Speaking from an honest place versus speaking a falsehood. All these things, all these manifestations, you can you can notice not only when you start to push against the precept, but also when you follow them, when you align yourself with them. It's so important to notice how that feels internally, how that feels, how that registers in the body, in the heart, in the mind. And for me, there's often a quality of I'm kind of in that that stereotypical devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder, right? One's telling me one thing, one other one. When I choose to follow what's actually kind, which actually is honest, which is actually based in non-harm, there's a settling. There's a sense of, I feel myself settling into the earth. But I go the other way, I feel myself lifting off the earth, becoming less grounded, less connected. Such a beautiful feedback mechanism. This query was sharing with Ajahn Mun's instructions to always be connected to the body, to always be aware of the body. And then noticing external, how people respond to you when you are kind, when you're ethical. The other day I was walking my wife to work and there was a wallet sitting on the, the side of the road. And I picked it up and it was, you know, intact. Must have just fallen out. So I found whose it was and, and offered, gave it back to him. And then offered to him, said, is, is that you so-and-so? Here's your wallet. So he was very happy to see that. But just that little bit of exchange, that willingness to, to not take the money, to not be squirrely around it. And it's not always the easiest choice, but you can feel your body tells you it's the right choice. So this is this is the embodiment of our practice. This is the foundation that then the, the refuges blossom from. Learning to to really care for each other as we wish to be cared for ourselves. So there's a tremendous benefit that comes through everyone that you touch and everyone that you like that they touch is this echoing out of kindness of benefit. And internally, there's a tremendous benefit from that. And the precepts, it's like this, it's how you meet this moment right now, right? So all of us in our past, we've done times when we have not been ethical. Perhaps small transgressions, perhaps big transgressions. And we can learn from that, learn from how we, we're coming out of a place of perhaps lack, of hurt, of need, of unclarity. And to have compassion for those aspects of our, our old self, to have compassions for ourselves and to bring that reflection into the commitment to not cause harm from this moment forward. All right. So thank you for your attention. And before we take our break, I just want to um, thank all the volunteers that helped make this evening possible. Um, in no particular order. We had Beth and Tim, who came here early and set up the hybrid system and the speaker system. We had um, Kaba and the other Beth and May and um, Carlito, who came and helped create the, the container for the retreat, for the, not the retreat, for the, the evening. Online, we had Kathy, who set up the, um, the Zoom call, and 
course, behind the scenes, there's many people that are kind of just like, like, um, uh, Ken and like Cheryl Marlin who just keep things running. The Simpsons really needs our volunteer effort. That's what makes things work. If we, Rodney always used to say, if we don't have volunteer for something, we will just, we'll stop doing it. And so Sims needs your participation and needs your participation as volunteers. So I encourage you the next few weeks, we'll be offering more opportunities to volunteer to please consider stepping up in small ways and big ways and engage in your, your practice supporting everyone. And Sims also needs your support financially. So the suggested amount is $5 or so for these kind of evenings here. You're welcome to do that here in person on the baskets or online. If Kathy, you could throw that in the chat. And as teachers, we get some stipend from Sims. We also appreciate whatever support you're able to give us for our livelihood. All right. So thank you for your attention. And we'll have a, oh, one more thing um, before we take our break. For those online, we're going to do a protection cord ceremony. So if you have a chance in the next five minutes to find um, just some yarn, something like this, it could be just a single strand of, of thread or something. And you can just about a two and a, a foot or so, two, two feet long. And if you could grab that, we can, you can follow along with us. And if not, you can, you can do it later. All right. So let's take a five minute silent. We don't have to be silent. We can talk if you want. Come back at 810 and we'll begin the ceremony. All right. I do love ceremony. And so uh, we are going to do some chanting. These are very traditional. For those of you that don't know it, this is the, we're going to chant it in the traditional way in Pali. Um, uh, I just want to explain for those of you that don't know kind of what we're doing here. This first part, Namo Tassa is what it's called. It really is just the evoking of kind of like uh, an honor to the Buddha. Uh, I I'll always think of it as an invocation of, of um, kind of acknowledging uh, the Buddha and his uh, practice and his uh, teachings. And then the next section, uh, it's very simple. We are going to say, we're going to say the Namo Tassa all together in Pali, but we won't say the English. The next section, we will say um, each little section in Pali, which is the language that looks foreign, and then in English. And then we'll go to the next one, and then the English. Pali, English, Pali, English, Pali, English. This this uh, Buddha Dhamma Sangha is the refuge that I, we were just talking about. And what this process is, it's an oral tradition of taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and then doing it for a second time and then doing it for a third time. And you'll notice in a lot of the teachings uh, in the Pali Canon, which is where a lot of the Buddha's teachings are held, there is this three times people would ask for teachings, three times people would go to take refuge. There's this three times uh, in, in a way to, to really strengthen what it is that you're saying. So I always think of it as I say it once, and then just in case I didn't get it, I say it again, 
And then, of course, I say it one more time, just to be sure that I really am going to take refuge uh, uh, in this uh, capacity to awaken. And then the precepts, they look a little bit more complicated, but they are, in effect, almost as easy as the um, refuges, just maybe not as easy to remember. But we'll do all five Pali, and then we'll say all five in English. So the Pali, it's really that first word, uh, first or second word. And then the last part of it, Viramani, Sikapadam, Samadhi, Ami, uh, we are going to say the first one, um, call and response, so that people can begin to get it. But then you'll notice that that last part is every single one. Um, the one that is the hardest is the very last one, which is the, um, uh, it has to do with uh, uh, not taking intoxicants that cloud the mind. And so that one, we will uh, do the whole thing and um, do that first part, call and response. Well, we'll do the first part, call and response on all of it. But the first of the precepts, we will do the whole thing, call and response. All right, so let's just give it a try and we'll see how it is. Many of you have done this every year with Sims. We do it every year on the first uh, Monday. Okay, so uh, some people put their hands together in prayer position. Um, I don't, but uh, please feel free if you want to. Otherwise, uh, you can sit here uh, in... uh, this kind of mindfulness in the present moment. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Buddham Saranam Gachami. Uh, I think we should do this in call and response just so everyone knows. So Buddham Saranam Gachami, and then you say it. Buddham Saranam Gachami. Dhammam saranam gachami. Dhammam saranam gachami. Sangam saranam gachami. Sangam saranam gachami. In the English, uh, to the Buddha I go for refuge. To the Dhamma for refuge. To the Dhamma I go for refuge. To the Dhamma I go for refuge. To the Sangha, I go for refuge. Sangha, I go. And uh, we don't need to do it in in, um, call and response now. Dutiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Dutiampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami. Dutiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. For the second time, 
To the Buddha, I go for refuge. For the second time, to the Dhamma, I go for refuge. For the second time, to the Sangha, I go for refuge. Tatiampi Bhutam Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. For the third time, to the Buddha I go for refuge. For the third time, to the Dhamma I go for refuge. For the third time, to the Sangha I go for refuge. So um, we'll do the precepts now and we'll do them call and response. This first one here. Panatipata. Panatipata. Where are many? Where are many? Sikapadam, Sikapadam, Samadhyami, Samadhyami. Adinadana, Adinadana. Where are many? Sikapadam. We don't have to do it in call and response now. Where are many? Sikapadam, Samadhyami. Kamesu, Machachara, Veramani, Sikapadam, Samadhyami, Musawada, Musawada, Veramani, Sikapadam, Samadhyami, Sira, Miriam, Maja Pama Datana, Maja Pama Datana, where Ramani Sikapadam Samadhyami. And then the English, understanding how entwined we are, I undertake the training to refrain from killing, a vow to cultivate compassion towards all beings. Understanding how entwined we are, oh, and when to take the training to refrain from taking that which is not freely given. I vow to practice generosity. Understanding how intertwined we are, I undertake the training to refrain from sexual harm. I vow to cultivate responsibility. Understanding how intertwined we are. I undertake the training to refrain from harmful speech. I vow to cultivate loving speech and deep listening. Understanding how intertwined we are, I undertake the training to refrain from intoxication, which leads to carelessness. I vow to consume items that preserve peace, well-being, and joy. So for those of you that are not used to the precepts, you are not refraining from any kind of drinking or anything like that. You don't, you're, this is not an abstention. 
this is more of a refraining from getting uh, abusing alcohol, television, things that lead to intoxication, such that you uh, become careless and paying attention. So that's really what it is. But as lay people, uh, we are not, the, the, you're not taking any vow that says you will not drink or you will not smoke weed or anything else. It's not that kind of a vow. It's more that you're, uh, it's, the, it's the intoxication level that leads to carelessness that you're paying attention to. Okay, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Suze and May and Cover, would you mind coming up and helping pass these out? All right, so those on at home, if you have a cord, you can get it ready. All right, so once you get your cord, just hold it in your hand and reflect on the the refuges, reflect on the the precepts and bring your, your, using this cord as a way of, of really reminding yourself of your commitment, of your inspiration, of the refuges, and also your commitment of following the precepts. And invite you to tie uh, three knots in this cord to represent the refuges and a fourth knot to represent the precepts. And once you have those knots tied, just take a moment to feel them with your fingers, reflecting this is the Buddha, this is the Dhamma, this is the Sangha, this is the the precepts. And when you're ready, uh, if you're online and you're with another person, you can ask that person to help you tie it around your wrist or your ankle, or sometimes people move it around their their necks. If you're by yourself, um, you can kind of twine it and play with that, maybe just kind of wrap it and get someone else to help you at some point. And those in the room, find a a person nearby and and tie the, the cords for them. You can check to see how tight they want it. Great, thank you. All right, so everyone almost finished. Take your time. If you like, you can bring your hands together or just reflect on the precepts and refuges, kind of imbuing that into the cord. All right, so 
You can leave these on until they fall off on their own cord, or if you need to take them off for whatever reason your, your work or lifestyle may need, that's perfectly fine too. All right, just use that as a reminder for the refuges and the precepts throughout this, this year. So now we wanted to both talk a little bit about um, the teaching theme. Thank you, Tori, for closing it with a nice bell. <laughs> she's the ref. She's the. She's the. Um, what do you call it? <laughs> she's yeah. She's a master of ceremony, but she's also the, the um, ritual specialist. Oh yeah, definitely ritual specialist. <laughs> I'm just the sidekick. Sidekick for this stuff. all right so those here in the room we have these really nice um, postcards that were developed by alice lee i think is it yeah yeah so she designed them cheryl marlin helped i guess tori and i helped with some of the words too so there you're welcome to take some if you come in person you can get some um, online. Um, you just have to wait till you see us on a retreat. So this year's theme will be the threes. So the threes are a way of organizing the Buddhist teachings. So there's the list of ones, the list of twos, the list of threes, list of fours, five, six, sevens, on, on up. And so we wanted to, we always look at 12 months and how can we divide that up in a way that makes sense. So we thought, well, let's try the threes. So instead of like last year, we had one, one basic theme throughout was we explored the Oxfording pictures. This year, each quarter, each three months, we'll have a different theme. So this next quarter, we're going to be having the triple jewels, which is the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Then we move into the three characteristics, which are impermanence, dissatisfaction, or dukkha, and non-self. Then the three poisons greed, hatred, and delusion. And then finally, the three pillars of inside practice, wisdom, dana, and sila, or ethics. So these, it's going to give us a lot more flexibility to, to explore. So as, as Tori and I, myself explore this, as the local dharmas leaders explore that, both here on Mondays and also on Sundays, and also Thursdays too, right? Yeah, Thursdays too. And I don't know what the under 40 are doing, but they might do the same thing. So it gives a sense of, of continuity. But, you know, so a teacher might talk about one of these, the list, like might talk about the Buddha, might talk about them as a whole, might talk about, you know, how kind of the counterpoint to them. So it should be an interesting year. And all these, these lists of threes are a very foundational pieces of our practice, especially of, of Dharma and of Buddha practice, Buddhist practice. So we're going to bring bring that coming back to that foundation to help us ground and really center in our practice, especially as hopefully downstairs from here, we'll be having our new space in a few months. Then we'll start to hold our, our evenings there also online. So thank you all for, I see Barbara there who's been very involved in all the process and know Deb and Khaled and just tremendous amount of work they've been doing with the planning. So Hopefully we'll have, it's already demoed. It's already torn apart. So it's a fresh canvas. You want to say a few words about it? Let me transition our um, links. 
So um, I just wanted to check. Okay, good. Um, I learned the Buddhist teachings through the list. And I think that's what the LDLs always taught in the Buddhist essentials. We learn through these lists. And so um, what Tim and I, when we were talking, there are some unique and uh, kind of um, similar ingredients that follow through the threes, things that are listed in threes, things that are listed in fours are different also, but things that are listed in threes, there are some threads that you can begin to weave in between them. And um, I was hoping, I tried really hard to have that poster that I always put up around our teaching theme. I tried really hard to get that poster together, but I was rushing. It just wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. And so I decided that I will have it for next uh, next week. I'll uh, have it here for you for next week, for those of you that come in person. But one of the things that you're going to notice in the poster or that I want to bring out is that threes create triangles. And triangles are one of the, I think they are the strongest structure that we have. It's the strongest structure because if you shift any of the corners, you shift the whole thing. And it just keeps a shifting and moving to keep its strength. So in a way, what we're going to learn and work with, I think, this week, I mean, this year, is this idea that there are principles that are connected together and that in them, they create this very strong bond. And that strong bond, we can begin to practice with. And if you practice with one, you're really practicing with the other two. And if you practice, uh, if you learn something in one, you begin to learn something in the other two. You strengthen one, you strengthen the other two. And so there's a way in which this is, uh, the working with the threes are going to be a great way to see this interlocking uh, capacity that Dhamma has so that we don't think, oh my God, I got to learn this and I got to learn this and I got to learn this. So if you learn impermanence uh, or even if you learn to take refuge in the Buddha, we could start there. If you learn to take refuge in the Buddha, you're going to find that you will take begin to take refuge in the teachings, begin to take refuge in the Sangha because that's where you can go and share the teachings with someone else. You could try to share them with somebody that doesn't know anything about the Buddhist teachings and they will think that there's something wrong with you. So there's this way in which all of them begin to intersect with each other. So we're really excited about it. Um, I don't know how you were with the ox herding tales, but on Thursday nights, we loved it. And so we're all pumped up about it. Uh, I think I'm going to take liberties right here to share something special. I don't know if it was going to be a part of the announcement, but I'm going to share it special here because I'm just um, excited about it. But uh, we have a uh, BIPOC group, which is a Black, Indigenous, and anyone who considers himself a person of color, a group that's going to start on Sunday. I am so overwhelmingly happy and the two people that are going to do this group, this is how unique it is. We are living in unique times. 
because Takaki lives in uh, Portland and Sean lives in Victoria, Canada. But they are the leaders of that group and they are going to keep that group facilitators for it. Um, it'll be online. Uh, I'm sure we'll have people from outside of the Seattle area. Uh, and so I'm just uh, very, very happy that Seattle Insight will finally have a BIPOC group um, that I don't have to be the one to actually make it happen. And yet um, I just have so much faith in Takaki and Sean. They've been a part of the Thursday night group forever since we got online. And um, I don't think it would be a Thursday night group without them. And so uh, they are very much a part of Sims, even though they don't come here personally. But somehow we've changed. Uh, the world of Dhamma has changed. And Sims is also people who only come online. And so I just thought I'd share that. They will also be teaching the threes with us on Sunday afternoons. All right, so I think that's it. So uh, we are going to turn this over to someone else. I think it's to you, Suze, yeah. Well, hi everybody, my name is Suze Appel and I'm one of the local Dharma leaders and one of the leaders from Sunday morning. And I've had the great privilege to be part of Sims from the beginning. So I have a question for everybody. Where would we be without our teachers? <laughs> Just think about it for a minute. From that very first class, that first retreat, or that time when a teacher shared the Dharma and it just really hit you. We all know the profound effect our teachers have had on us and they continue to have on us. Some of you may have a particular teacher that you follow. Others of us have gone to Dharma Seed and we listen to all kinds of teachers. And here at Sims, we are honored by and deeply grateful for our two guiding teachers, Tim and Tawari. We're honoring our teachers tonight and expressing our gratitude for all that they do for each of us in our practice for the Sim Sangha, and for continuing the wonderful legacy of over 2,600 years of offering the Buddha's teachings. The Buddha was the original teacher, but today it's sometimes said that the term Buddha can also refer to all the teachers who inspire and guide us. For all you do for us, we thank you. Especially during these three pandemic crazy years, you have created a container of safety for all of us to continue to practice, study, and grow on our paths towards freedom. You give us confidence. Keep on reminding us we can do it. You provide safety for us to explore the path. You provide access to the teachings and to other teachers that you invite in. And from your own experiences and your own practice, you offer wisdom, insight, and inspiration. We bow to you. 
So I'm going to introduce Beth Sobel. For the last several weeks, we've been inviting people to send in emails. We've also told folks that tonight they're going to have an opportunity to just say a word or two um, because um, we know how important you are to us. So um, first, I'd like to see if there's anybody in the room who would like to say a word or two to teachers here tonight. No pressure. Maybe you can just send it mentally. <laughs> I have some, um, some who sent them in. This is anonymous. I'm new to SIMS, but my practice has already benefited from greatly from my first practice inter interview and from being with this welcoming Sangha. Thank you for your generosity and leadership. Also, appreciation and gratitude for Tuweri. I appreciate the energy that you bring whenever you teach. When you tell a story about your experiences, your stories come alive and transmit the emotional energy of the experience or of its lessons. We can feel how the teachings have become a part of you, which encourages us to continue on the path. And appreciation and gratitude for Tim. I appreciate when a yogi asks you a question and that you often work with the person to be sure you understand their queries. You have a gentle way of probing if you need more information before addressing the question. Your kindness to questioning students, volunteers, and all yogis at SEMS events is noted and appreciated. So is there anyone online who would like to uh, raise a hand and have a word? Oh, super. Is it okay if I go? Hey, Iris. Yeah. Hi, hi there. <clears throat> um, I'm hearing feedback. Uh, is my sound okay? Yeah. So um, I, I, I sent in um, my remarks to Cubba, but um, I'm, I'm happy to share them, um, which is, just deep, deep bows to both Tim and Tawari for their years-long uh, commitment, dedication, and consistency to the teachings, um, to their practice, and and to Sims. And um, I'm deeply grateful to to both of you for what you carry forth and what you offer. Thank you. Anybody else in the room? So we have a few a few named people. Uh, Carlito says, I am so thankful that Tim and Tawari are in my life. I love them both more than even I know because they continue to open my heart. 
And Lyndall says, I'm grateful for your teaching and your leadership, and especially for the way you got us through the difficult time of the pandemic. We are lucky to have you. And Deb S. says, I will never know how much time you both have spent preparing your weekly Dhamma Talks for the Sangha. This invisible effort is noted and deeply appreciated. So anyone else online thought of anything? I feel your thoughts. I just can't hear them. You have one person raising their hand. Jean? Did you lean forward, Jean? Apology out of Oh, Susan. Hi. Sorry, I, I lost my screen. I can only unmute. I'm not in tech. So can you hear me okay? I want, because I can't hear you at all. Um, I wanted to acknowledge that uh, we are so lucky to have two teachers, but the big secret is we actually have three, <laughs> Carrie Peterson holding up the under 40 but but to because i've taken a look around many places many um meditation centers are don't even have one it's it's kind of you know they flow in and out so we're incredibly lucky as people have said to very high lineage teachers we're really blessed and i just want to hold the space to and acknowledge what I see is a generational flow. I see people here from when I first stepped in the doors 15 years ago, and they held me in the Sangha. And I feel like I grew up here in the Dharma under Tim and Twary. But also I see people that I've shepherded in the doors. So I see, I see this beautiful generational Sangha that is being held intact by Tim and Twary and others and the volunteers and I'm very lucky to be a part of it. And thank you all for being here too. Um, Judith A says, thank you so much, both of you for holding the Sangha and sharing your wisdom. And thank you for keeping everything online. So those of us who don't live in Seattle can participate. Barbara and Steve say, we are so grateful for what you bring to our Sangha. Your Dharma talks have been clear and helpful in our daily living. You have organized series in a meaningful way, and you complement each other with your different approaches. I meet with a small Sangha of friends once a month, during which we discuss one of your past talks. This is our fifth year. Your talks keep on giving. Thank you both, Barbara and Steve. Has anybody in the room thought of something you want to share? Step on up, Kaba. Yeah, and this. Oh, thank you. I wrote something which is in there, but just thank you both so much, really, from the bottom of my heart. I I learn from you. I 
model myself after you. Okay, I admit it. <laughs> and and um, you create such an incredible space for us online and, and here. So thank you. Deep bows. Thank you. Thank you, Kaba. Sean and Bruce say, um, Dear Tim and Tawari, we write to share our deep appreciation to you both for your heartfelt dedication to making the Dharma accessible to our Sims community and all the many outlying geographical locations that, that connect with Sims with the use of Zoom. Your dedication to the practice is an inspiration to us all. The program Sims offers allow us to continue on the path, deepening our practice in very good company. We've grown in love and connection with all our Sangha members, each of us in our boxes on the screen, no separation, just Sangha. We wish you both continued happiness, good health, deep peace, and good humor along the path. Many, many thanks, Sean and Bruce Malloy. So anyone on online have a thought to share? I can't see. Can you see if I see anybody? I or you could just unmute if you want to say something. It looks like somebody's unmuting. Joe B. says, it is not enough to say I'm appreciative for the guidance and wisdom of Tim and Tawari. Over the last year, I went on a retreat where Tim was one of the guiding teachers. I met with Tawari over Zoom to discuss my practice. The conversations, instructions, and Dharma talks Tawari and Tim have provided have been such an incredible gift. They've helped me to better understand the Dharma and deepen my practice. Your dedication to teaching and living the Dharma has changed my life. Thank you for your patience and generosity. Robin B. says, Tawari has been my teacher for years now, and her wisdom, teaching, kindness, candor, and compassion have all been so important to my growth and journey on this path. She makes herself available to work with me when in distress or feeling stuck on my path. I've witnessed and experienced her own spiritual growth, wisdom, and freedom as a woman and as a Dharma sister and teacher, even as she faces such tremendous challenges in her personal life. My heart is full when I think of Tawari, and I want to thank her for sharing her wisdom with not only this Sangha, but the BIPOC community and other Sanghas near and far. She is a gem and a beautiful guiding force. I love you, Tawari. I can't be there to tell you this myself because I'm having surgery tomorrow. Today, she had surgery. So she's missed the beautiful ceremony. Um, she's sending love and gratitude to Tim and the Sangha. And she wishes us all, may you all be well in heart, body, and mind, and be free from suffering with Meta Robin. 
Anybody in the room? Anybody cut loose online? Come on, go crazy. Yeah. Four minutes left. Okay. Well, these will, um, you'll be able to see these in person. I'm going to finish with the dedication. Try to hook myself up again. So let's just sort of adjust ourselves and sit and uh, collect our minds for one final time. May the blessings of our practice be shared with all beings and all life. May all beings have calm, clear minds, peaceful, loving hearts. May all beings know love, joy, wonder, and liberating wisdom in this life, just as it is. Thank you all. That was a lovely appreciation. Thank you for all the thought and effort that went into that. It was very heartfelt. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's, yeah, it's touching to sit here and let someone thank you. So I appreciate it. Um, and then uh, I guess, Tim, you'll be here next week.